0: Welcome to the Wake the F-Up podcast with Alex and Jamie, where we talk about living consciously and helping people uncover their essential self so they can stop sleepwalking through life. On this podcast, we're having raw conversations about difficult topics. Our goal is to create a safe space where our guests can talk about real problems and issues and how they decided to wake the F-Up and become mindfulness experts through their own emotional healing journey.
1: Welcome to Wake the F-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, along with my co-host, Jamie. Our guest today is a mother, widow, and bestselling author. Whitney Lynn Allen joins us to talk about her personal grief journey following the death of her husband and how she decided to turn her pain into purpose. Whitney's book titled Running in Trauma Stilettos is an Amazon bestseller. Whitney is also a certified grief educator and grief coach. And most importantly, she is the mom of two boys, Jackson and Leo. Welcome so much, Whitney. We're so happy to have you. I feel like our story is, I don't I often feel like your voice on on social media is the voice inside of my head. And those who are close to me, I'm always sharing yours. I'm like, this lady is getting it. Like she <laughs> is saying what we all feel. And I'm in multiple widow groups. And I was thinking, like, you are such an inspiration and such a voice for those of us who are being a little bit more silent um, and suffering behind the scenes. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about your story and just a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Well, thank you so much. I, I really You're appreciate welcome. that. And, you know, I think when I share things and I share stories, it's because I'm I'm always talking to that one person. I'm never talking to, you know, however many people follow me. It's like I'm always talking to that one person. So if it reaches like that one person that needs to hear it, I feel like I'm showing up for the reason that I'm doing it. Um but oh my gosh, my, so what brings me to like my, so what is my story? It's just uh, so complicated and messy. Uh, but I guess I have to start. So as of October 2021, um, I guess October 12th, because it's like I have to kind of calc- calculate things in days. Um, I celebrated or we celebrated, my husband and I, our eight-year wedding anniversary, my husband, Ryan. Um, at the time, he was working as a canine officer in Hatboro, um, which is a suburb outside of Philadelphia. He had been doing um, canine work for three years, part of the department for seven or eight years. Um, and he was just loving life. He was living out his dream of being a canine officer. I was a lawyer um, or practicing attorney. I was a medical malpractice defense attorney. We had a three-year-old um, and we were expecting our uh, next baby boy, um, you know, in a few months. I was 26 weeks pregnant at the time. So it was just like such a like normal life um, when we celebrated our eight-year wedding anniversary. And then two days later, just randomly, Ryan got stung by a bee, had a terrible and rare reaction, went into anaphylaxis. Uh, which caused him to go into cardiac arrest and that caused a brain injury. So anoxic brain injury, which is when your brain is deprived of oxygen for too long and you, your brain just can't take it. It basically parts of it die. So that kind of started the clock on what would be uh, a six month um, long ordeal of Ryan in and out of hospitals. He was in the ICU first. Um, he was then in like a step down unit, uh, when he was discharged from the ICU because he couldn't be discharged to a brain rehab because he was too physically weak. Um, and then he was finally transferred to a brain facility, a brain rehab facility, uh, around, I want to say like January of 2022. Um, And we were, you know, still hoping that he would recover and get out of the vegetative state that he was in, um, which he was in after he came out of like the coma um, in the ICU. But that's basically when you don't really know what is happening around you. Um, You know, you can't talk, you can't eat, uh, you can't go to the bathroom. You literally can't even move like he couldn't even move. So. It's basically like you're seeing someone in bed, unable to move, unable to communicate. Um, That's the kind of state he was in. Uh, And then while he was in brain rehab, they did a follow-up scan of his brain and they realized that there are parts of his brain that had literally just died off because of the oxygen deprivation. And they told us that he would never have any sort of meaningful life. So Mm -hmm. myself, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law decided to put Ryan on hospice because he would never want to live like that um, with no meaningful life, not even be able to know anything that was happening around him. Um, and he was put on hospice in March of 2022, and he passed away on April 7, 2022. So he was on hospice for 22 days. Um, and I guess, you know, that kind of started the clock And when I decided to write my book, uh, Running and Trauma Stilettos. And then after that, I decided that I wanted to devote a lot of my life to helping people through this process of grief and trauma and share my story as a widow and life after loss, because I realized just how much we don't talk about these things in society and how much Society really doesn't take care of the people, um, especially the widows, when we, uh, young widows, particularly, when we lose a spouse, because no one really understands what that experience is like. And I feel like there's such a void in the education and the support that we need. Um, so I wanted to become that voice for everyone that was silent and they're just, they don't want to talk about it because they're afraid of the judgment. They're afraid that people will. Um, you know, not understand and think badly of them, of how they're grieving. So I wanted to shed light on so much of those complicated issues that we deal with when we lose a
1: spouse. Well, I can say that you are successfully doing that. I'm not even sure how, I think someone shared your Instagram with me and we're kind of on a similar path. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm I would actually say I'm less bold than you. I, I find myself like you say things that I would say to my inner circle of widows or even my inner circle of friends. And that mm-hmm. I tell my friends, like I tell Jamie a lot of stuff that like the judgment and the ridicule that comes of being a young widow and any choice that you make after like, actually, and like, let's be honest, your husband, he died before he died. Right. And and mine, mm-hmm. mine was in the same zone. So my, my husband, Carl died of esophageal and gastric cancer in 2019, but we were on a five-year cancer journey where like almost little deaths along the way and then hospice for an entire year on and off of hospice, but really like pretty hard hospice for about a year. And so I felt similar, oh, thank you, similar Mm -hmm. to you in the sense that it was like your marriage and your life as a family kind of ends well before the funeral and that can be really challenging and people discount that time as like, Mm -hmm. part of the grief journey I mean it is part of a grief journey but it's it's a it's also a death in itself it's a it's not the full death but it is a death of the life that you knew and becoming a caregiver so 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 taxing and being pregnant like that must have been Mm -hmm. incredibly challenging because you were 26 weeks pregnant and then did you have the baby I guess and Ryan was still alive Leo's it's Leo that was your youngest yeah
2: Yeah. Um, baby Leo. So yeah. So at the time of Ryan's accident, October 14th, 2021, I was 26 weeks pregnant. And then I had Leo January 8th of 2022. So like a few months later, um, I had Leo and Ryan was, was still alive. He was in like the step down unit from the ICU because, and trying to gain some strength before, uh, going into the brain rehab. Um, Because he did, he actually, he did go right from the ICU, but then they had to transfer him to a step down unit because he couldn't do any of the therapies because he was so weak. And um, because he couldn't, he literally couldn't swallow because of his brain injury. He had a trach and a G-tube and the trach, um, he had so many uh, secretions. He was getting pneumonias over and over because he was aspirating. Um, So he like was getting really sick when he was trying to do the rehab. So they had to transfer him out. He was um, in a step down unit for a month and that was through the holidays. Um, I had Leo and then he was transferred to the brain rehab after I had
1: Leo at some point. Well, I feel like your story resonates so much with Jamie and I. Jamie's baby was born. I know, and, like, and, I, know I was like, Jamie did trach care with her infant, who was put like immediately needed uh, five tric- days. Yeah, Yeah,
3: five oh, days. Wow. So, oh
1: my gosh, it's that's, that's so hard.
3: He's close to your baby's age. He was born um, August 2021. But so she knew older.
2: the
1: secretions yeah. were always like it's not. God. I don't think people really. That's understand. That's the hardest
3: part. Oh, I mean, you think you get, you're get you like relieved because you're like, oh, trach, so he can breathe. Everything's going to be easier. But then it's for him, it. the reason he needed the trach actually resolved not even two months after he had the trach, mm-hmm. but it took us six whole months to get the trach out because of, you know, every time the secretions, you get sick, and then it's one step mm-hmm. forward and five steps backwards. It's just like I a know. constant struggle. So yeah, oof, and it's- the G-tubes. Well, yeah.
1: I, I wanted to ask oh, a little bit about your book. So mm-hmm. um, tell me a little bit about your book and, and why you decided to write it. I I want to say I guarantee it's probably because you read all those. I mean, I hate, hate to say it, but the, the books out there on grief are not geared towards young widows. I remember I, somebody gave me one book mm-hmm. that said, you're gonna meet a man in the grocery store in the produce aisle. Oh I was like, "What in the literal fuck is happening right now?" Oh like God. I was <laughs> thirty-four. I was like, "I don't. No men I know are literally probably mm-hmm. even in the produce aisle, and let alone I'm not going to the grocery mm-hmm. store to meet a man. Yeah. I I have to yeah. order my groceries. I'm so busy.
2: <laughs> I know, right? Oh my! And yeah, you're you're actually so right um, because you know when when we go through these things, we we look for anything like evidence that like, it's going to be okay. And we want to relate to, to something that we actually can relate to, like not just, you know, somebody retelling their story and like none of the emotions behind it and like leaving out, you know, the really raw details. We want to, we want to feel like they know what we're going through. um, So we don't feel so alone. And like, I could not find anything. I'm like this, I would like Google widow support. And I'm like, the people are just like, I feel like I just couldn't find anything that captured what this experience was like. And I was sharing, I started sharing Ryan's, you know, story really out of survival because people kept like texting me and calling me and messaging me asking for updates. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like I, I want to be able to you know people really care and i don't mind sharing and i also don't want like rumors to start so i like need to curate things so i'm like i'm just going to start sharing his you know his journey our our journey on facebook and i started sharing and like his story went just like viral because people just could resonate so much with i guess the themes that i was sharing i didn't even realize at the time like what was really behind what i was saying like mm-hmm. hope and faith and resilience and like everyone was rooting for us and praying for us and you know that everyone was praying for a miracle and you know it just resonated with so many people and i think part of the reason why i wrote my book is that i think people like they told me like thank you for sharing your journey because i felt like that or i was going through something similar and i needed some something or someone to relate to and i I relate to this and it made me feel not so alone. Uh, And I'm like, there's something to this. You know, I need to share my story, Ryan's story, our family story, because people don't have what they need uh, when they are going through the worst days of their life. Like they need something to turn to, to be like, she gets it. Like, I am not alone. I'm not the only one that's going through something this shitty. Yeah.
1: Yeah. When you're doing that, you know, and I think you're right. I remember it's almost like when you have a new baby and you're like having a problem and you go through what, you know, what to expect when you're expecting or one of the childhood books, you're like hungrily looking for solutions Mm. to like tell you that you're good. Like, it's okay. This is normal. It's normal. And I love this week you shared something about, I had to drink a a blue moon to like, Mm -hmm, just, just mm -hmm. to survive. And I was like, you know, the dark truth of grief and how much it suffocates and paralyzes you Especially when you already have children, right? Because you you have to keep functioning and going, but then there's mm-hmm. this like I don't know we'll call it a bewitching hour for grief where the kids finally yeah. go to bed and you're alone and you're like oh I can't feel all this like I just need mm-hmm. something to relieve the pain and I think yeah. I just appreciate so much you being so honest because I think we need to normalize and that's really why Jamie and I are here. We're here to tell other women who are suffering and in, in, that it's okay. It's okay to be messy in your healing and it's okay to like l- share we're all feeling this on the inside mm-hmm. to some degree and we're just so vulnerable and so scared that we don't really s- speak the truth and therefore we stay mm-hmm. alone and I think you're really combating that so nicely um yeah so I, I think so I, I, sorry. sorry I just no, um I just think it's uh you know I
2: think it's so hard because if somebody hadn't gone through like what we all went through and they they don't understand and like you would have told them, oh, like I need a drink just to like get through bedtime or like after bedtime so I can even just go to sleep. Like they'd be like, are you all right? Like you're not OK. Like, you know, y- they would want to fix it and make you feel like you had a serious problem. But it's like you're in complete survival. And it's like that's a very acute period. Like you're not going to be hopefully, you know, if you get help and you get the resources you need, like it's not always going to be like that. but. People lean on crutches when you're just in survival. And I think we need to normalize, (laughs) like, it's really messy. Yeah, like, it's really messy. Like, it's not all like meditation and exercise. And like, I'm a grief coach. And I, you know, I tell my clients to do all of like the quote unquote, healthy, right things. But sometimes I'm just like, you need to just do what you need to survive. And like, that's the best advice I can give them. That's
3: right. Just holding space. We mm-hmm. had an episode a few weeks back with um one of my very best friends and she went through a very traumatic relationship with physical and verbal abuse. And through it, you know, I was trying to help her and she like jokes now because she's like, I'm going through this point where I'm having panic attacks and can't sleep and you know, mm-hmm. she's in survival of not, you know, literal survival of not being killed. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there texting her. You really need to start taking vitamin D supplements and why don't you, we'll go to a yoga class together. Here's a meditation that you can do in your free time. And she was like, all I wanted to do was like throw weights around. I just wanted to go to the gym and I wanted to throw weights. I wanted to box. And you kept trying to get me into like this meditative state of mind. <laughs> and it's so true. It's like, yeah, it, meditation is great. Yoga is great. But mm-hmm. you know, that's not always what you need when you're like in the heat of it. It's a whole different level.
1: Yeah it's, it's a whole different level. -hmm. I wanted to ask you, um, we're going to get to the next question, which is about, you know, how hard it is to share your story. But I was wondering if you found, and I, I kind of found this too, is like in that interim period when Ryan was in the hospital, did you feel like so bolstered by all that support? And and I had the same feeling in my story, like where people wanted to know, so many people wanted to help and pray for us that it was like overwhelming to to connect everyone. So that's kind of how I got in publicly sharing my story too. But did you feel like once the death happened, it was like a light switch and then criticism was the main voice that was coming in my world pretty quickly, not in that first refractory period, but like about a month after when I started any choice I made to move or to, you know, to start to rebuild a new life because I had to, and and, and you have to, because your old life is gone. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what has been your walk since? Because I'm actually really wanting us to shout out and cheer you on. Like I'm cheering you on from my computer screen and in my heart Mm -hmm. for you and Anthony's relationship and like your choice to keep Mm -hmm. living because so much is taken from us without our, Mm -hmm. and, and we're still grieving and suffering on the inside. But to choose to live is actually, I think the hardest and most brave decision you can make and people do not celebrate it. And they're actually nasty as hell. And it's, it's terrible. Cause you feel all this, like, why am I shaming? I'm alive. Like I didn't die. I wanted mm-hmm. to, I sure as hell wish I did die. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was like, take me. I'd rather die than have to walk this walk and yeah. having two grieving kids with it all. It's just so, so hard. So talk to us a little bit about mm-hmm. your feelings. Maybe they were the same or maybe they were different.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's so spot on. I mean, we had so much, especially since Ryan was a, you know a police officer like the support of that community um and like they were wonderful i'll never like take away the support that they gave us like that it was incredible but you know i would be lying to say like it 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 does fade and it fades really fast um and now it's like especially when you do find yourself like in a new relationship and you're able to find love after loss it's like I think people, I, I think it's, there's a lot of things. It's either people think you're totally okay now, like you're over it because right. you're in another relationship or like, they think that you're, you know, maybe that your relationship with your, your late husband was not as significant or as good as, you know, it appeared. Um, maybe there were issues or, you know, they, they just, the judgment is just ridiculous. So it's like, not only does the the support fade really fast but then the you're right like the judgment comes on even faster <laughs> <laughs> very um, hard it's uh, yeah it's really hard and it's like you know you do just want to you don't want to like disrespect anyone but at the same time it's like you need to honor yourself that's more important than being afraid of like disrespecting like the public because it's like They're not the ones paying my bills. They're not the ones putting my sons to bed at night. They're not the ones like doing anything, right? Like they're not, they're not there. Like they're not here helping me in any way, but you're judging me. So it's like, you don't really have a right to do that unless you are like doing all those things, like honestly. Um, It's true. And then I think just like society as a whole, and it's just I, you know, I think it's so antiquated, but like widows back in the day, like they would grieve no matter what age they were. Like, that was it. Like you were a widow, like the rest of your life. Like if you were 20 or 50, it didn't even matter. Like that was it. Like you better not do anything else or else, you know, like people would judge you. It was like, you know, you read all these stories like back in the day of how, how that was. And It's just I think it's terrible that we still treat people in like this modern society like we should be wearing black veils once our husband dies and we're like in our 30s, like we're young. We have a whole life ahead of us, you know, not to say that, you know, finding love again is something that everybody wants to do. But, you know, I think we shouldn't have the judgment if that's something that we want to do and have the intention to do and we want to have another relationship um, because, you know, marriage and partnership, like it's a beautiful thing. And I don't think that we need to suffer if we want that. Um, when I after think the loss of a spouse.
1: timelines are so bizarre, so people get it in their heads. And I, I am very impassioned by this. Like if you are brave enough to open your heart to love again, or even consider, like I remember, like, I, I wasn't even really thinking about love and just, ended up like making a choice. I don't know if I've ever told you my- You
3: were so shut off. You were so shut I off. I was so like, shut she off. She had no intention.
1: <laughs> no intention of falling in love. And honestly, I I actually made a personal commitment that I was going to marry my work. It's so ridiculous and mm-hmm. terrible. Actually, when I think about it, my, my thought process was like, I'll just be a professional and I'll redo this house and put my kids in this mm-hmm. right school in New Orleans and everything will just be fine. Like, that's not right. how you really live. Um, and I- mm-hmm. I had seen this uh, Reiki special that my sister had hired me on the one year anniversary of Carl's death and she had a vision. So she was like a medium doing energy work. And I was kind of like, mm, this is probably bullshit. Right. And what she said to me was Carl is here and he's pushing out all the archangels to talk to you. And when he was oh. dying, he, um, he, every, I mean, he di- was dying for a long time. So we had a lot of opportunity to talk about death, which was really hard for him. And he wasn't very good at, at that because he what really wanted to beat it, but he did always tell me, I really want you to get married again. And I'd be like, oh, you just need to stop talking like that. You need to stop talking like that. But it was a gift, honestly, of that. But I, in that session, she said, he is screaming at me so loud to tell you, you promised him you would open your heart. And I was like, motherfucker, it'll make me cry to talk about it. But I'm like, I can't do philanthropy because I'm over it right. and I'm exhausted after five years of caregiving. And it was such hard caregiving at the end. And two grieving kids. One of my kids was like suicidal and struggling. And my youngest was angry and so young she couldn't use her voice. So she's just acting now as like a toddler. Yeah. And I sat there and thought to myself, you know, I I can't do much for him in the philanthropy world because of these my philanthropy is to just be a mom that shows up and, and takes care of the blood that is running through my two children that we made together's body. But I can open my heart again, maybe. And I made a little small commitment to to open my heart. And I literally met David, my now husband, the next week. Oh my and gosh. I, think, so I know. And I think about this. and he saved my life. Like he saved my life in so many ways because I was so broke and open. And maybe you can relate to this that I I couldn't hide. I couldn't fake it. I could I just and, and his capacity to be patient, he also lost his wife to a, like a very quick and tragic, uh, brain aneurysm. And so we, re- we just almost were grieving together and mm-hmm. sharing tips on how to, and it was just a camaraderie and a love that came to, out of nowhere. And I think about the world needing to hear our story that, that, that love is what gets you into this fucking hell, right. Of grief and de- death and, and you're, you're dying from the loss of this, something that was so important to you. But also, I hope that people can know that love is what will get you out of this. Love is the mm-hmm. is the solution, is the healer, is the salve of it all. And and society, because they're, I think, scared on the inside, like they could replace their person that they love so much that easily. And I'm like, first mm-hmm. of all, that's not what happens. It's a new person, a new relationship, and we're completely different people. Yeah. And secondary, mm-hmm. that love is what will get you over the gap. So you, if you listen to everyone outside of you telling you how to live your life, just like in any other situation, right? you go away from your true self. And, but if you, if you really open your heart and can consider love, it is what will save your life. And, and I think my children, I'm sure yours too, right. Are doing so much better now that you're in a new partnership.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy because Ryan was, he was so traditional in the sense, like he, how much he, um, the importance that he put on fatherhood and like family and like that bonding and like teaching sons how to be men and like we would have conversations about this like all the time like how you know how because Ryan did not have a very good relationship with his father and like I think when our son Jackson was born and him being able to be a father to our son it healed so many parts of him like the parts that he didn't get with his own father which I'm so happy and grateful that he was able to hear heal those parts of himself before he died, because I think it affected him. He didn't talk about it because he was so stoic and he didn't talk about like trauma and stuff. But um, like, I knew, I knew that how could that not affect him? Um, so I think when, when Jackson was born and he was able to be a dad to him, like how much that healed him and I think after Ryan died, I didn't know, I knew I wanted to be married again. Like to me, being married is such a beautiful thing. I love being in that commitment and that partnership. And like, I feel, you know, a lot of like young people just don't understand the, like the beauty of that kind of relationship. They think it's like all like pretty pictures and you know, all these things like for show, but they don't really understand like how much work goes into a, a healthy marriage. Like they just, they look on the surface and they're like, oh, like I want the big ring and I want the big wedding and like all this pretty stuff. But it's like, yeah, but are you going to be there when like they are sick and you are the, you're their caretaker? Like, are you really in this, like for the right reasons? Or you just like want a photo for Instagram, you know, like, I think that the younger generation like just doesn't really understand the importance of marriage. And I love that part of marriage. Um, so I knew that that's what I wanted, how, how I would get there or like in a, you know, another partnership. I didn't know. Um, when I started dating, it was simply because I wanted to feel something different than <laughs> what I was feeling. <laughs> like you just want to not feel so broken. Like you want to have fun again. You want to feel alive again. You want to change your state in any way. And like, for me, it wasn't like being like, Oh, I'm dating to find my next soulmate. It was just like, I want to change the way that I feel right now. And I think like maybe dating, like I'm curious about how this feels like, let's just, you know, give this a shot. And, um, you know see see where this goes i didn't have any expectations um but i think when i met anthony he was so he was so what i needed at the time like he's so calm he's so grounded he is like a family man he's so loyal like he's so he's like never even like done any of like the stuff that people do in college like smoke weed like he's like so innocent <laughs> like you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. he's just, like i the do most inno- he's just like the most like innocent Sweet man ever. And he just wants like he wants a family. And you know, I just couldn't, like Ryan, I couldn't ignore him when I met him. And it like wasn't really at the perfect time. Because when really is like the perfect time, I really couldn't ignore Ant. Right, exactly. Like I couldn't ignore how wonderful of a man Anthony was. And I'm like, if I say no to this, it's because everyone else is telling me it's too soon, not because. I I feel like I'm not ready. And I'm like, I'm not gonna do that to myself. And also, why would I wanna miss an opportunity with somebody that is so like what I need right now in my life, which is like that grounding force. Um, and I think the boys to answer your question, like now I'm finally answering your question. I think so much to talk
1: about. (laughs) I'm like, I could talk to you for like
2: weeks. (laughs) There's so yeah, it's just like there's so many layers, but um, I think the boys, for them, like you can just sense like their calmness too, having a male oh. presence, and it's like it's so different just being a mom because, you know, we're the we're the nurturers, we're you know we're like the caretakers, like we're not really meant to be like the big disciplinarians, and like, you know, you can sense like he like my especially my son Jackson because he's five, so he you know can actually like listen and stuff. Um, the way that he responds to Anthony versus me is so different. Like he with Anthony, he's just like, okay, sir. Like, you know, and with me, (laughs) he'll like try to get, get over on me because it's like, I'm the mom. So it's Uh like, they, you can see how much a male presence or like that partner, like that presence, how powerful that is. Especially I feel like in the like boys lives, because it's like they need to emulate this father figure, this, this, Yes. yeah this um this male figure it's it's when amazing. I'm not so- sure if
1: it's because our kids had you know obviously strong fatherly presence mine too but I
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know my son had ba- is battles depression I'll just say that and um is but when I met David it was like the world was making a lot of comments much like your Instagram trolls that I'm like mm-hmm. that lady is a nightmare what the fuck <laughs> People would make, people would make whispery comments to me in social gatherings, making comments here and there about everything that is bad. This is too soon. And it's too much. Are you kidding me? And you're not, she, he must not really love you. He is just, he's just lonely and needs a wife for his kids and and vice versa. I just need, I'm there just for the money and I need someone to take care of me. And I'm like, look, after you've been through the kind of loss that we've been through, I'm like, you can't, you can't fake it. You can't fake it. You're like, And what you said about young people not understanding marriage made me want to cry. Like that resonates highly with, I think, the widow population. You don't know what you have until you lose it. And it's Mm -hmm. the small commitment and that that safety of like, you know what I used to cry about every day? It makes me so cry. Is not having someone to have a cup of coffee with. Like that's so stupid. You would never think of that in 20 years old. But like. I would make coffee every morning and I would leave coffee for Carl or like you just had the system of unspoken Mm -hmm. connectedness that goes away. And like one of our Mm -hmm. vows in my new marriage was David promised to make me a coffee every single day. (laughs) And he fucking has literally every single day. (laughs) We're apart right now. And today he was like, I only made one coffee today. It felt so sad, you know, because we know we've lost and we know the value in like hugging in the morning and having a fucking coffee with someone that you love and like taking the yeah. time and i think that listeners should if you're struggling in your marriage that is so normal. Mm-hmm. We i was there even in my past marriage and like because we are remarried i feel like we had problems in my past marriage but we also had a shit ton of love and we were young and we mm-hmm. needed a lot more therapy than i realized back then. <laughs> but i understand yeah Mm -hmm. doing it again makes you value everything it really really does and if you have a marriage out there that's in struggle get the help you need don't wait until you're in divorce situations to get a therapist like do what you need to do to work it out and look at the little things like are you having a cup of coffee together like where where are the places that you are connecting in your world and i think my kids Mm -hmm. got so much better with david's presence and in yeah. that one small introspection, I was like, you know what? If I listen to all these people out here tell me do the right thing at the right time, it's too much, it's not enough. I just, I went inside and that was something Jamie and I've been talking to our guests about is like, I listened to my inner voice and she was strong in there. And I couldn't, once I got that love and peace in that relationship, I was like, it was like I felt a calm and a peace and I could something that was opposite of what I had been going through in the grief. And I was like, I just need more of this. I have to do more of this. And my kids, I think needed more of that too. And in that process, I feel like we did a lot of healing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand. And when I talk to like my clients that, you know, they asked me, you know, how did you know, like when you're ready to, you know, like date or find love again. And I'm like, you don't ever, I don't think you're ever ready. Right. It's like, it's just like, do you have that curiosity? Does it like not make you want to vomit? Like thinking about like going on a date with somebody else? Like, because you're not, it's just like anything else in life. How do you know you're really ready until you're, you just jump? Because then it's like, if you wait till you're ready, that's never going to come because there's always going to be things that are holding you back. Um, and I don't know if you experience this like with with dating uh, your now husband, but like when you are a widow and you start dating again, it's like those parts of grief that wouldn't be activated unless you were dating or in a relationship, like come up. And mm-hmm. so people are like, "Oh, it must have been like so much easier for you in the grieving process because you had somebody." And like in some ways, yes, because you don't you're not physically as lonely, right? You're with somebody. But it can still feel lonely because especially with in my situation, which I I guess is kind of dissimilar from yours, Anthony has never, he has not lost a spouse. So he doesn't, he doesn't, he can't fully understand what that experience is like, whereas your husband can. Um, So that part of it, like we had to work through because that can feel lonely. Mm -hmm. Um, And also when you're with somebody else, it's not the person that you were married to, that feels really weird. And you have to like deal with all of those emotions surrounding that. No, um, you're spot which, on.
1: You're
2: yeah, spot on. which you wouldn't have to deal with unless you were with somebody else.
1: <laughs> well, it's kind of beautiful in a in an honest way, right? So I remember David and I's first date. We had been talking for a while, like a while, a while. And so we met up for our first date. And when we kissed, it was... L- Sorry, David. Sorry, David. I'm going to say this. <laughs> I <don't> remember this. <laughs> But it was, he'll admit it too. We had the worst first kiss. And like, I can mm-hmm. tell you that David lights me up intimately in a way that I didn't even know existed. But mm-hmm. the honesty within it was that we were kissing our previous marriages. Like we went in with mm-hmm. the, ki- you know, like you are got a pattern how you kiss your husband. You know, it's like, you know, it starts the same and ends the same. It, it's the, the mouse yeah. lamb in the same place. Like you got 10, 12 years worth of <laughs> kiss. And then you try to kiss a stranger and you're like, I remember in that moment, I was like, I'll never find love. I was thinking that in my head, like, oh my God, ew. First of all, ew, this isn't my husband. And it was a grief. We both started simultaneously like crying, grieving. And then we were like, I'm sorry, maybe this isn't going to work because we didn't know how to get over that hump of like where we were and how do you become anew? And it was cute because David and I both like kind of had a, I mean, kind of like a panicky moment, I think internally, not necessarily totally Mm -hmm. sharing it. But he said to me, like we kind of took a pause. I was like, I think I'm gonna leave the date. Like I was gonna leave the date. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get out of here. This is like, (laughs) I was like, I'm an idiot. Why was I even considering doing this? I'm not ready for this. I miss Carl. And then he said, if in order for us to really give this a chance, because I believe that we have a strong connection, we have got to get our spouses out of this room. And I was like. Mm. That's a powerful thing to say. And you're, you're right. Like we can't kiss our spouses anywhere. They're gone. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, a metaphor for our life is like not get them out permanently, but they, there has to be space for them because they're with us all the time. Like we are, we, our spouses are in our world every single minute of every day. We're talking about them. Our kids are talking about them. We're all grieving them. But in order for us to be successful, we had to create an us and whatever that looked like. And I didn't know how to do that. And I don't think anybody Mm -hmm. really does, but the world should know the honesty is in the fact that I think real love is born that way. Like Mm -hmm. when it's your first love before you know death, you're like so naive. You're like, it is amazing. Mm -hmm. We were like, we met at this bar or whatever your story is. And you like get to Mm -hmm. tell your cute story. And then Mm -hmm. as widows, you're like, It's like you're hiding. You're hiding everything. You're like, oh shit, I don't I saw that person that knew me and I'm on a date and I don't want them to know because I don't even know who the fuck I am. I'm laughing because
3: Alex literally, literally would hide herself. Like she would disappear. We would be at work and she'd be (laughs) gone. And I'm like, Alex is on the freaking phone with David again, isn't she? And then you see her and she's like hidden in the office in a corner and she's like, He's he's on break from work and we're just we're talking. It was like teenagers practically yeah like physically would hide yourself from us
1: (laughs) well and I was hiding from everyone so hard hard. because I I sucked in that 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 uh, external belief a lot because my husband was such a public same like yours like everybody knew his story and we Mm -hmm. we had a great marriage and I felt somewhere deep inside of me maybe I didn't I couldn't love again or didn't deserve it and when it was it was unfolding and I was just like letting it and taking part in it because it felt so good. But then I had a lot of shame and guilt that was coming from external sources. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't think I would have been able to live had I shut that door. I would have, I would have turned into a really angry, unhealthy version of myself, I think. So.
2: Yeah. I think that's something, you know, that's something that I like emphasize with my clients is you know getting in in touch with your needs like you obviously like you knew that at some point you would want love again in your life because that's something you need as a human being like for you um and then in grief we ignore all of our like basic needs we're like because you know whether that's the outside world or because we let um and grief can be I say it's like You can either be like a superhero powers because it teaches us so much about life and like vulnerability and like how short life is. And it makes us like, you know, the sunrise is like so beautiful, like so much more beautiful after, which is, it's true. But then also it can be a bitch because it's like, it lies to us a lot. It's like, you're not worthy of this. This isn't right. Like with your first kiss, like, oh, well. This can't be right because it didn't feel right right now in this moment. It like Uh makes us feel like things are not the way that they should be. But we kind of need to like ignore that a little bit and get in touch with what we need. And also like our basic gut instincts again, because grief in our head, like the rational part of our brain is like, why does this feel not right? And then, you know, but your gut and your calm. So you're like, why are these things so inconsistent? Um, why are these things not lining up? And I think that's why moving forward in grief is so complicated because our minds are telling us one thing and our bodies are telling us another thing and they're not Mm -hmm. in alignment. And it's like, what do we trust? Right? Like what, sorry, there's just like a bug. Um,
1: The body. (laughs) Trust the body. (laughs) It
2: knows. It knows
1: more than the head. You have, you
2: have, you kind of have to in grief. Whereas, you know, before you lose somebody, a spouse, like specifically, those things are in alignment. So it's like, everything makes sense. Everything feels in alignment. Everything feels easy. And then you lose your spouse and nothing feels right. Everything is confusing. Um, even when things are going good, you're like, this isn't right. Like Uh something bad's going to happen. We, we forget how to trust ourselves. So it's like, Uh we have to get in tune again with, Well, first of all, we have to get over the fact that sometimes our minds are going to not be consistent with how we're feeling in our body and to still kind of trust ourselves that this is just grief and we kind of need to push through a little bit. Um, And then we need to kind of settle in and give us give ourselves some time to get into alignment where our heads match how our body feels. And like that, that I think is so hard. And I think that's why I think that's why widows feel so, uh, like disembodied and it's, it's so debilitating because it's like, we can't trust ourselves anymore.
1: Well, the trauma, you know, like I know Mm -hmm. you went through so much trauma. I mean, I, I've seen just, just the images alone of your husband in the hospital kind of get me revved up. And, you know, I was talking, so I'm in my sister's house and we're, sending my kids off for the first time I'm sending my kids away. I'm having like the hardest time because Mm -hmm. the only other time they've been gone for me for two weeks was when their dad had this massive surgery and I was convinced he was going to die in the surgery because a lot of people do and he didn't, but it was traumatic. And, and, and I was telling my sister's son is has a a girlfriend who lost her mom to cancer a month ago and -hmm. she had been on hospice for, you know, five months and sick for five years with peritoneal lining cancer. It was really ugly cancer. And she was talking about like, oh, well, when she threw up, you know, her esophagus. And immediately I was like, that happened in our house multiple times on on, um, radiation. But like when you're in the hospital, you see all this dark and scary stuff and like your body keeps hold of it. But I I was thinking just like, we say like, yeah, his esophagus or you're like, oh, and the trachea has got like, yeah, we've got pneumonia again. So he's he coded Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, like you say all this crazy shit and people are like. The lay people are like, "What the fuck just happened mm-hmm. on a Tuesday to you?" And you're like, "Yeah, it's okay. It's alright." Yeah. yeah, his esophagus came out of his body last night. That happens when he's on radiation. Like, you know. Right. You have to normalize these really traumatic mm-hmm. things. So I think when we calm down, what I've noticed to be true is like I did a lot of cognitive work, but I could not stop the panic attacks, which I just keep saying out loud. And and the thing that helps me is embodiment is like just getting yeah. inside myself. And I've been reading some new new information on in IFS so it's internal family systems work and it and what we they talk about in this is they look at the body and the and as a system as body body mind is what they call it but that essentially they are the protectors inside of us so this parts of ourselves that are protected the protectors to keep what we believe to be the vulnerable pieces of us that people will not love if they see happening and I do think like what you're saying when the mind is like no 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 don't trust that. It's sort of those protectors being like, you're you're not really lovable. The world's going to not love you if you choose you. And so yeah. connecting the two and like not listening to that flying voice in our head that mm-hmm. tells you that is really hard to get to. But yeah. maybe check out some IFS. I feel like that, that therapy has got some really cool modalities that's kind of making some sense of the somatic work with me.
2: Yeah, that's kind of like that reminds me of uh, like EMDR and kind of separating like memories from the trauma, because it's like every time we think about, you know, a traumatic event, we don't want to be right back where we were um, and like feel all of those sensations. Because then it's like that's when you're going into like you're, you know, you're having PTSD, you're having panic attacks, you're that's, you know, it's you can't live like that for too long. It's just too much. It's a lot.
3: Yeah, I'm like a wreck right this whole week's been a wreck for me. So with Sloan, he, um, he got his trait out at eight months and was it 2020? Yeah. 2022. And after his trait came out, I pretty sure I never cried again, like mm-hmm. literally just didn't cry. And then mm-hmm. going into this year, we started talking about my husband and i being like, Oh, do we want another baby? And mm-hmm. a lot of it, I think was like, I didn't. And I wanted to make sure, like, do I not want another baby because I just, I'm happy, you know, like, it's not mm-hmm. in the cards for me. It's not what I want. Or am I subconsciously not wanting another baby because
2: yeah,
3: I'm finally happy and life is safe and I'm calm now mm-hmm. and I don't want to ruin what I have. So I started doing therapy, so finally found a therapist, which is on our other podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we started EMDR therapy with me just recently and mm-hmm. I what Alex this past week I can't stop freaking crying it's like my body's finally like releasing it and like that's why like even this whole episode I'm like tearing up over it um yeah but when you said like separating that so when I went to when I started therapy with this doctor I told her like one of the simple things I want to do is my husband loves to watch TV and he watches all of like, you know, the good doctor, Grey's Anatomy, all those things. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to the point where I can't watch them. And I like look at Mm -hmm. them and I'm like, how can you even sit here and enjoy the show? Because this puts me in a state of stress. Do I know that this is a fake show? Do I know this is, you know, this isn't really happening in real life. Yeah. I know these things, but it, Knowing that, and even when I try to, like, not really watch it, I'm like, oh, I'll just play on my phone while he watches it. It still gets my body into this, like, yeah. feeling. And, like, mm-hmm. my husband was very part of Sloan's caregiving, but he also had a work where I was the one that, I mean, I literally would, the second that NICU opened, I was there. NICU closed, I went home. So I was there all of the hospital life. And yeah, it just, that's the trauma I'm trying to work out, is that body part. Like, so the mind and the body, that disconnect. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but right now yeah. this week I'm like super in on that.
1: Yeah, she's in that. on it, and it's it's cool though because her body is really
3: like oh my body's like relapsing. I feel like a like a like I'm in a detox of like a rehab or something. Yeah, her body
1: is, her body's like keeps getting sick and like it's like you got to slow yeah. down. You got to slow down. And I'm like you know as an observer a little bit out, and I still am working through my own trauma. Like it, it's and we're five almost five years out, and I'm like. Girl, it's still coming up, coming up, coming up, you know? And I'm like, I yeah. wonder, does it ever end? I'm not sure. But you do, like, feel the sensation, what you're talking about. And I do think you can get to a place where, you're like, I'm not there anymore. I'm going to allow this to come up. And it's safe to feel it. And I'm not going to go down in flames. Like, I think that's the river of grief, Jane, that you're on, which you Jan talks about. It's like you're going down the river. And you feel like you're back in the starting point when you get into those sensations. But you you have to remind yourself, like, no, no, it's coming out and that's good. Mm -hmm. And I'm further along the path. I'm, I'm going down the river. I'm not going back up to the starting point, but it's hard. Yeah. How does it, how do you do with all your trauma moments?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, when you're coming out, just going off of what you said, Jamie, you know, when you're coming out of that survival mode, um, when, you know, you're finally like out of the, you know, the hospital or the NICU or whatever, it's like you can, you're finally in like a safer zone. So it's, it's like, you're able to kind of settle in and have some calm, but then your body almost protects you from feeling the pain and processing the trauma that you went through, because you don't want to go back into the pain. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go back into the trauma. So it's like, there's a wall that's built up where the trauma is like, it's in you, it's stuck. And if you don't let yourself like go into that pain, it's just gonna, like, it's just gonna get stuck in your body. Um, And I think what you're talking about now, you're finally able to release some of that, because you have to like, talk about it, you have to think about it in order to release it. And um, I think our bodies and our minds, like, it's very protective. So It distracts us. It makes us, you know, have different like secondary emotions like anger in order to distract us from feeling the pain, like all these like protective mechanisms that our brain is trying to help us, but it ends up hurting us in the end because we're not, we are not expressing what we need to express in order to heal. Um, So what you're experiencing now is like you're finally giving yourself the time and the space to let some of this go and releasing some
3: of it. Um, yeah it's and- so interesting like I would feel it like I could feel when my body was coming up like, to release something and I could literally feel it be like nope nope like I would start to tear up I could feel that the tears would fill my eyeballs and then I even still mm-hmm. being sad and not trying to stop myself my body would just literally it's not yeah. gonna happen yeah and that was like the biggest wake up for me where I was like I've got to start like releasing this, and everyone would tell me they'd be like, "Oh, are you just scared? Because you're scared. If you start, you're never gonna stop." And mm-hmm. that was never really my fear. But yeah. now that I'm in this week, I'm like, I'm sitting here like shivering, trying to keep like literally, I have like my adrenaline shaking because I this it's just not yeah. stopping. Granted, <laughs> I did have to put a dog down my my 14 year old baby on Tuesday, so I'm like, oh god, even more. I know
2: it's yeah. like I said, it's been a hell
3: of a week. <laughs>
2: well, once <laughs> I once our once our nervous system is activated through trauma and like going through all these things that like we've all gone through it's so more easily activated again when like these things come up so it's like I actually because like I'm in I'm obviously in therapy too and I was talking to my therapist about this I'm like it just feels now like instead of a dimmer where Uh like if I get activated it's like it's like a slow move up. It's just like a quick switch. Like it just goes from being fine to I am like not good at all because the mm-hmm. my ner- our nervous systems are like so tender and they, they're so ready to be activated by anything that it's just like it, it. takes a really long time to get back to the point where it's not just a switch anymore. It's a dimmer again from mm-hmm. like before before trauma.
3: Right? Like, that's what it feels like, though. It's so um, true.
1: Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. I know. That's what, like, this week, it's hard to explain, but my nervous system has been so insane that, like, I, mm-hmm. last night we had friends in town we hadn't seen in a long time. And so we had to go see them. And I don't really drink that much anymore, but I am from New Orleans, so, like, drinking is normal. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we went out, and I didn't finish one single drink. I bought, like, I got a glass of wine, and it sat there the whole time. But my body felt so, mm-hmm. like that it almost like felt like I was intoxicated. If that makes any sense. Cause my nervous system was so revved. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just, I wouldn't, I would never believe somebody until I experienced it myself that you could feel like that. Yeah.
1: One of the tools I've been working on is this window of tolerance, which is really out there. It's like all over the place about your nervous system. But for those who are kind of seeking more information, it's something that's been so helpful to me is like, so essentially we have a window of tolerance. And when you've been through, trauma of the level that the three of us have, your window is very narrow. And so then you go into sympathetic, like this hypo, hi, excuse me, hyper arousal. So, so like, wah, like she's talking about like no dimmer, boom, floodlight comes on and you're just fully overwhelmed. Yeah. But what you're trying to do with the window tolerance is create patterns in your life and create a resiliency routines, things that make you feel down regulated. So down energy, like where you're not so activated And some people can be in a hypo opposite way, like frozen. That's your fight or flight. When you get beyond that, you go to freeze. So it's interesting to like figure out those of us who are struggling with activation of the nervous system all the, all the day long is like, what does bring you down? When do you feel like your best self? And I'm working on that, like creating patterns that actually bring me out of those states because you, yeah, it's, it can, that light's coming on hard and fast for years
3: it's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting. It, I love that analogy so much. It's so, yeah.
2: yeah, I do. Yeah. It's a great analogy. And I think, um, with my client, I always ask them because of, you know, your, your nervous system is so, um, easily triggered is like, what's your anchor? Like, what's that thing you do every day? I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Just a different name mm-hmm. for it. Like, what are those actions that you can do in order to, um, you know, have. Get your nervous system to more of a, a better baseline. So if you are activated, you're not going right into the like, you know, like the flood, like the floodlight. You know, it, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit calmer, it's a little bit gentler, and for me, that's working out like, mm-hmm, um, me too, because it it calms my nervous system enough where. You know, if I'm on the phone with a customer service person, it's happened yesterday and they, they asked to speak to my dead husband. I'm not like, and I'm still get really upset and angry. And like, I can feel all the, yeah, like the lump in the throat and like the heaviness in the chest. And it's like, but it would be worse, you know? So it's Uh just like, it's such, it's such a process. Like, it's just, it, it takes so long it takes so long it does
1: well i think it's going to be a lifetime to un to ungrieve yeah. if that's even a, a possibility i don't i'm starting to accept yeah. the idea that this doesn't ever go away mm-hmm. and that the attention to the self is an awareness so like awareness is key to the start of your inner journey and this inner journey is how we really need to compass out our our roadmap of life and stop mm-hmm. looking outside of us for all the solutions and go back inside which is a very yogic belief system. It's like everything we have, we already have on the inside of us will tell us, but we have to sift through some of the things and pay attention to like where simply what makes you feel at peace, alive, joy, better, mm-hmm. those kind of resonating good feelings on the inside. Like I'm like, I'm gonna stop overthinking it and just go with what makes me feel good and start there. And we'll just see how that and it's honestly that is healing in a new way that feels less cerebral and less difficult. Like your mind can really play a lot yeah. of tricks on you, you know? Mm-hmm. So also, wait, can
3: we, we um, oh yeah, take a, a minute to give a shout out at the fact of how hard it is after you lose a spouse, y'all's like any customer service thing. And I'm saying this because I I used to work for Alex's um, company in New Orleans. And so I would have to handle a lot of these kind of calls and uh. I could not... It could not believe the conversations that we'd have to go through. And like, I think it was the phone bill, like trying to get the phone service changed. You're
1: like, you need a death certificate for a cell phone. Literally
3: the only way she could get it was they needed her to have a printed death certificate to come to the store face to face. It was so outrageous.
1: Oh my god. And I didn't even
3: like I did it, it twice
1: and they still didn't change the account into my name. And then oh my literally I changed phone companies by Verizon, you're dead to me. Figure out your situation. <laughs> I hate Verizon too. Oh, thank I you. Literally. Oh my- I'm like I still it's still in Carl's name and they'll literally the be like worst. sorry, the you worst. can't get into your account. I'm like I've been a 20-year client of yours. Literally and I just I finally this year was like I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with these people. So. they're they're the ones I
3: mean that was us yeah. still trying to fight through just the name change it was in his name so we couldn't they wouldn't even show us like the full statements it was yeah. an outrageous I, I couldn't oh, even the,
1: log in oh it's a lot It's a lot the, the
2: <laughs> stories that I have it's just it's funny you bring that up because I was on the phone with chase like chase card yesterday because I had like Ryan and I had a chase two chase cards together. And now I have a chase two chase cards with Anthony. I'm like, oh, I like I didn't want to cancel it yet because I wanted to make sure I like of the reoccurring payments and I wasn't missing anything. So I'm like, I'll wait a few months to make sure like I'm not missing anything. So I go on yesterday to mine and Ryan's account, realize there's a fraudulent charge from Southwest on our, our uh, like credit card bill. So I call and I'm like, this is fraud. And also like, can I just cancel this? Because you know, I, I need to cancel it. And, um, you know, had to, I guess it came up that, you know, I was only the authorized user and not, you know, whatever. So they're like, Oh, we have to transfer you to a state. And like, they could just be they could not give a flying fuck about like your loss or anything. They're just like, Oh well, we need to verify his death. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that's for real. And they're like, well, we can't find his obituary. I'm like, because I we didn't have one.
1: And so now obituary, I have to worry. like so now yeah. we're required to have an obituary. That's not <laughs> that's I'm ridiculous. I'm like, so are,
2: I said, so if you're on Google, just look up Ryan Allen like Haverford Police Department and like a million things will show up. She's like, I'm sorry, I cannot verify this. So I have to go and to chase with a death certificate.
3: Yeah, it's
2: like, it's it's like can I, you have
3: force people to relive their trauma and grief anymore? I mean, I it didn't even happen to me. Well, I was just handling it for Alex, and right. I was like enraged. <laughs> I was
1: very lucky that my first husband Carl was dying for so long that widows. I like got into this widows group before I was a widow, and they were like, right. get a hundred death certificates, and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm not joking. You just can't have enough. So anyone out there who is in the process of loss and grief. Take this piece of advice, get a hundred death certificates because you will need them for every idiotic company that makes you mm-hmm. verify and verify and relive your trauma over and over and over again. And honestly, I'm yeah. like, Winnie, we might have a celebration. I think we should get together and have a party when we're completely done with all financial ties to our spouses, which is sad, right? That's also it's sad. So sad. But yeah. it's also like, you're like, I thank God I don't have to do this anymore. It's just yeah. really challenging. Yeah. It's, like I avoid it's so Like a, a, a trust that was put in the name of the kids. And like, I'd like to apologize to my financial advisor who has my bullshit. But like, anytime <laughs> I get an email about that, I'm like, I just, I just can't. I can't anymore. Yeah. And I like, don't answer the emails. I'm like, I just, I don't know why that part of me just can't show up for that anymore. I'm like, there's not that much money in there. I don't really care. My kids are yeah. not going to benefit from that trust. It was... Yeah. a nice gesture by people but I can't do in the trust of anymore I'm done I'm done there
2: yeah it's the your energy is just you're drained like you for that like you just <laughs> you don't have it in you anymore you have it for a bit when your adrenaline's going and you're like right out of it and you're still in survival you're like you can do anything because you're just like you're a freaking robot right like mm-hmm. yeah. and then when you, you are when autopilot you, you're on autopilot and then once you get out of that it's like oh I can't I can't do that and like
1: I can't make that call like I can't do that so I your I nose get yeah. gets so so strong okay yeah. so I want to end and just talk a little bit because I definitely feel like we need to have you back but I wanted to talk a little bit about your grief coaching and like mm-hmm. maybe some of the harder things that you are going through with your um widow clients so tell us a little bit about your grief coaching what you're doing out there just so people can find you because I think I literally am get was getting texts right when we got into this call from a brand new a dear friend of my first husband's he had a heart attack. I think I'm actually not sure how he died, but he died suddenly. And she was like, I just need other widows. I have a therapist. I have a, this, I have all these specialists. And she's like, I need to talk to a widow. And I was like, actually, I'm literally getting on with a widow grief coach. And I think it's so important. I don't know that there's many grief coaches out there.
2: Yeah. And there there's not, and a lot of time my clients come to me and they come from therapy and they come from counselors and it's, you know, a lot of therapists and counselors are not specific, like grief therapists or grief counselors. And it's a very specialized work. Um, yes. Which is why, obviously, I think it's so important that I do this work, because there aren't a lot of people out there. I mean, I live in like the Philadelphia area. And I had such a hard time finding someone that's specialized uh-huh. in grief. And my therapist is not a widow, but like, she's good. But it's very rare to find a grief therapist that actually is good because they don't under exactly understand what you're going through. Um, So a lot of my clients come to me after therapy doesn't work for them because they're like, they just didn't understand what I'm going through. And I always like to kind of explain it to the, like my potential clients that for me um, as a grief coach you know, I'm not getting rid of your grief. That's not the goal because you're mm-hmm. human. Like you will be grieving, which is like a verb, right? It's like something we do forever. But can we change the way like your grief, which is a noun, the thing, you know, how, how you experience that? I can help you with that. You know, that's what I help with because we don't have to experience the grief part so heavily, right, or so intensely or so painfully, we can do it in more of a peaceful way, a calmer way, getting you to a state where when you think about your person that you lost, you know, you can still go throughout your day and do all the activities of daily living and not be on the floor, like unable to move, you know, because you can't live like that. But that's what you know, that's a lot of my clients come to me in that state and they're like, I can't live like this. Like I can't even work. Um, Uh so it's like, how do we, we don't get, get rid of the grief, but we build a life around the grief where we're able to manage those waves when they come a little bit better, um, as they go. And, you know, I think a lot of my clients sometimes get frustrated because they're like, Oh, I cried the other day. And I'm like, good. Like I'm, I'm glad. Like, why? Why does that upset you? Because they think by being sad and missing their person, they're not progressing. But I'm like, the goal is not to never be sad. Like, that is not my. That is not your goal here. Um, it's to honor that missing, that grief, that sadness of the absence of somebody that you really loved, and leaning into that so we can get through it and still live a life that we have purpose in and we find meaningful and we can find joy in along with the grief. Um, and it's such a, it's such a complicated subject because with other things in mental health, like depression or anxiety, the goal is to get rid of those things. And with grief is you can't do that. So how do we, how do we help people through that? Whereas we Mm. have, we have to teach them how to live with it, not without it.
1: Right. That's awesome. So
2: perfectly said.
1: Well, I don't think there could be a more perfect ending than what you just said. Living with grief is so challenging and we're just so appreciative of your voice. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's like a revolution when I look at your Facebook and, and social media posts on Instagram because I really am so proud of how you are putting it out there. So despite all the people wanting to make you feel <laughs> less than, I would like to let you know that you are speaking, at least for me and many other widows who are determined because of the love that they lost and the person that loved us that we know would want us to keep living big, especially when we have children who we want to model good, healthy lives and healing, and that love is always the answer. Um, I just want to thank you so much for everything. It's so powerful what you're doing, and I know you just moved, and that has to be it's challenging and exciting and I will tell you that eventually once the boxes settle out and you get done dealing with Verizon-ish people, <laughs> um, I think you're going to feel like I'm finally starting to feel like there's a peace and a calm and recreation of your new life and you deserve every second. And I think Anthony is such a hunk and so adorable Aww, and I'm obsessed. Keep sharing more <laughs> Anthony. He's Give him a big hug and tell him that we are all cheering him on. He's amazing. To be able to hold all of that and not have lost a person to me is magnificent shows quite what a strong person he is. So really awesome. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, he's, I, we're very lucky. He really is amazing. So thank you guys so much. It It was a great conversation. And oh I wish anybody let, like, come back if you guys want to do like, we would love that to do. Totally. We would
1: well, love not, to have you anybody back. Anybody who, so- yeah. Jamie, tell them like if they want to put comments <clears throat> or anything for Whitney. Yeah. So anyone to, who's to listening,
3: live. if you have questions, um, anything specifically you want to ask Whitney and the Spotify app, you'll see the question and answer portion underneath the podcast. So submit your questions or just hit us up on Instagram and DM us. Um, hope- whenever we have Whitney back, we can ask her those questions for you. Whitney, oh, thank you think and then so, also of course so if you want to get in touch with Whitney to get grief coach um, help all of her notes will be at the bottom of the podcast as well so you can We're find her also and link
1: her book, book too in our um, our app and everywhere so you'll be able to find it all the widows out there grab her book it is like a how to manual to get out of hell so Whitney you're an <laughs> angel thank god finally a real voice from a real widow Oh, that's young. We're feeling so much relief having your book out there because I think the Lord knows we're not meeting any men in the grocery store produce owl with that <laughs> book. Thank God. Some healing <laughs> advice is coming for you people out there <laughs> that we did not have. We did not have. Pave it away. Thank you, you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you
2: too.
0: This has been the Wake the F Up podcast with Alex and Jamie a podcast about normalizing and overcoming challenges like grief and fear. Be sure to check out our other episodes where our community of experts share tools and ideas to help you wake to the life inside of you. If you enjoyed this episode of Wake the F Up, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And join the Wake community by downloading our app. Just search for Wake Wellness in the Apple or Android app store. And follow us on Instagram at the Wake Wellness. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.